Welcome to Social Fischensane, a production of Coastal Roots Radio. This is our continuing coverage of the impacts of COVID-19 on North America's coastal fisheries and fishing communities. People are now uh, sharing their own uh, home chef tips with us. They want to see the product or still want to be in the store and have a look at the product before they buy it. It, it was very interesting times, I'll tell you that right now. Hello, I'm your co-host, Hannah Harrison. I'm joined by... Emily D'Souza. And I'm Philip Loring. If you're new to Coastal Roots, we're an international collaboration of communities, scholars, activists, and others who are interested in supporting the health, resilience, and sustainability of coastal communities around the world. We focus this podcast on storytelling, and over the last few months, we've heard a lot from seafood harvesters about how they're dealing with the impacts of COVID-19. In today's episode, we're going to take a step up the food chain, so to speak, and bring you stories from the folks who handle your seafood after it's landed. That's the processors and retailers. As we've been hearing throughout this podcast, the seafood supply chain is very complex, and the impacts of COVID-19 affect each step of that chain quite differently. Today we're traveling through the supply chain and speaking to the processors who clean and fillet your fish, the distributors who sell seafood at local retail outlets, and even the chefs who prepare your fish at a restaurant. One of the first stops that a seafood product makes after it's landed by a fisher is to a processor. They will gut and clean the product and sometimes even fillet it or add other types of value, say with smoking and marinating. Processors are key players in the seafood supply chain, but some have also captured headlines in past months as their large workforces and close quarters can be ideal locations for a virus to spread. To understand how seafood processors are coping with COVID-19 and the precautions that they're taking to keep plant workers and communities safe, we reached out to Nate Berga, who's the plant manager for Pacific Star Seafoods in Kenai, Alaska. We fired up the plant this year in February, so we were able to implement, uh, make changes and adapt along the way, which, which really helped us because that was with a smaller crew at that time, uh, predominantly locals. Um, so it gave us a, an advantage over maybe some plants that fire up just for salmon season and haven't really been able to uh, make changes along the way. Um, so I feel like that, that helped us out a lot in getting ready for a busy time. Also, we have a couple different plants here um, right next to each other and one across the river. So for us to be able to quarantine for 14 days, uh, people that are coming in from the lower 48, we can truly put them at a separate facility where it's just them and uh, we have an EMT on site who goes over, does the temperature, uh, monitors their health and uh, delivers meals uh, three times a day. So that's that's been a huge help. A lot of what we do already in plants, you know, we try to prevent um, food contamination. We try to prevent, um, you know, the cannery crud that everybody seems to get in the middle of the summer. Um, so th there's already things in place that most plants do, definitely things we were doing. So um, it hasn't been a huge change for us, but it has made extra layers, um, whether it's paperwork, cost, or you know, just safety that we've had to, to do that wouldn't normally happen. Can you give me an idea of what 
you know, day-to-day is like inside the plant. So you, you have people, you know, when they come into work, what sort of things there, I, I guess they already would have done quite a lot of um, contamination control things like foot baths and wearing gloves and things like that. But what, what new things are there in the plants? So, you know, mealtime, uh, definitely some big changes there. Uh, we do feed our staff. And so the state mandated that uh, you know, if you have a cafeteria, you have to serve those people. Not a huge change, but um, so we went instead of a buffet style where we're just serving the people as they come down the, the cafeteria, um, making sure everyone has gloves on, uh, sanitized before they put the gloves on and go through the meal. And then, of course, at the tables, um, in order to keep that social distancing, we bought plexiglass and built uh, plexiglass cubicles that go on the table. So you can still have maximum amount of people, but there is enough space when they sit down and take their mask off. You know, they're in their own little area protected so they can't sit and eat their food. And everybody here, as we bring them in, we sit down, we chat with them, have our normal orientation, and then have a COVID orientation. In addition to that, where, you know, we explain to them that, look, we're trying to protect you so you have a job. Uh, We're trying to, you know, stay healthy and prevent COVID uh, from being on the property so the fishermen have a market. Um, You know, if there was a plant that didn't put out the effort and had an outbreak, we would all be lumped together um, and just generalized as, hey, the seafood industry did a horrible job um, based off of maybe one plant's experience. And then, you know, there's a a really big core group here who live in Alaska, live in the community. And, you know, we all have aunts, uncles, grandparents here. And so there's a personal motivation to protect the community. You can't disrupt any part of the supply chain without feeling the impacts elsewhere. Our food systems are very interconnected, and each link in the supply chain relies heavily on the ones before it. It's also important to note what a large role these processing facilities can play in terms of food security and an important source of seasonal income, especially in rural communities. So after a fish leaves Nate's processing plant, it might go to a distributor. And like processors, distributors are facing their own unique set of challenges in the wake of COVID. We really uh, had identified a, a happy niche in white tablecloth restaurants, and we included Michelin starred uh, restaurants amongst our clientele, which was a good business to be in. Um, we were providing our, our clients with what is arguably the very best seafood in the world. They were paying a modest premium for it. We were happy. They were happy. It all worked. And uh, then you know, almost overnight, our world changed. That was Dane Chevelle, the CEO and co-founder of Organic Ocean Seafood, a Canadian seafood distributor that, prior to the pandemic, supplied seafood exclusively to high-end restaurants. Organic Ocean was founded by fishermen uh, essentially to uh, um, disintermediate, um, take out links between uh, producer and consumer, and uh, also uh, create and generate value for every link in the supply chain. We'd seen it on the horizon because uh, uh, doing business in Southeast Asia, uh, we were aware of what was happening in those markets. Uh, We would have normally 
um, sold quite a bit of seafood in the Southeast Asia for the Lunar New Year. We didn't this year because it was essentially shut down. We determined in mid-March that uh, we could either uh, shut the business down altogether, which really wasn't a viable option, or we could uh, construct a pivot and uh, establish a new market channel to uh, address the void that was being created by uh, the closure of, of food service. And, and we did that and we created a, a contactless refrigerated home delivery business really in the span of two weeks, which was remarkable. It was something that we had talked about and contemplated doing, but under other circumstances, it probably would have taken us a year. Yeah. And that was exactly what I wanted to ask about next was how do you shift from supplying high-end restaurants with seafood seemingly overnight, switching to, you know, I assume lower volumes to individual households. How did that shift kind of work for you guys? It it felt dramatic at first, but uh, it's proven to be less uh, changed than what what we contemplated. Uh, Previously, we, our, our business was unique in terms of supply chain. Most uh, seafood distributors and suppliers bring seafood in from all over and distribute it locally. We bring in seafood locally and we distribute it all over. And so we had a very um, effective and well-tuned logistics system in place. We needed, we we need to, because we sell comparatively small uh, volumes to uh, uh, restaurants that are spread around the world. So Delivering to uh, homes in uh, our first market was uh, uh, Greater Vancouver in the Lower Mainland, and then uh, we got pulled into uh, a neighboring small market called Squamish, and now we're in the uh, Greater Toronto area as well. We had to create uh, an online uh, store presence. That was a little more complicated, but uh, constructing the store, logistics system in place, Product form slightly different. Um, chefs are used to uh, what I would describe as industrial um, size portions, whereas uh, home consumers are looking for four to six ounces. Um, so we had to do a bit of a reconstruct in terms of uh, how we were making the product available and in what form, but it, it wasn't that uh, dramatic. And what we did is uh, we determined that if there, we'd always been a socially responsible uh, triple bottom line business. But if there was ever time to uh, flex our social muscle, it was now because uh, people were at home. um, They were facing employment issues or facing uh, income reduction issues. And uh, so we had to uh, do what we could to uh, help our community and help society out. So we determined that we would make our uh, premium seafood available at the same wholesale prices that uh, we provided it to uh, uh, our restaurant and hotel clients. Now, that's got to be a big shift, right? From moving large volumes of mostly unprocessed fish into restaurants to delivering smaller volumes of individually portioned seafood to consumers. I thought so too. While it's definitely easier to sell unprocessed whole fish, Dane mentioned that adding in the additional step of processing to suit the needs of home cooks hasn't actually been as difficult as they had anticipated it to be. It it was a surprisingly easy uh, um, shift. We don't uh, really uh, make much, if any, money from uh, processing. 
if we had our druthers, we would sell uh, whole fish all, all day long. That, that was part of the attraction of the uh, uh, restaurant businesses, that restaurants you know, have a handful of people with sharp knives in them, and they can do the, the processing on site. Home cooks are not nearly as adept, so we had to uh, make the product more consumer kitchen friendly. You know, although we're not making money from that exercise, we're not losing money from it, and it's enabling us to uh, sell into a uh, a new channel. One of the other points that I'd like to make is that uh, um, one of the daunting challenges of uh, making the shift uh, or the pivot from uh, professional chefs to home chefs is that home chefs have been intimidated by the prospect of uh, cooking seafood. Uh, people love it because it tastes good. It's a superfood. It's uh, um, incredibly healthy, but uh, their experience had been uh, the large part uh, related to consuming it in restaurants. And so when we began selling it to uh, um, foodies and uh, home cooks, uh, we also had to uh, overcome this hurdle of explaining to them or training them how to deal with it. So uh, we solicited the support of our chefs and asked them if they wouldn't mind providing us with short videos that we could uh, broadcast through social media or embed in our in our website. We call them chef tips. People are now uh, sharing their own uh, home chef tips with us and uh, outlining that uh, they've overcome their fear of seafood. Uh, they're now are preparing uh, luxury Michelin-starred meals in, in their home kitchens to uh, uh, the delight of their uh, family, and they're doing it on an affordable basis. So uh, that's been a really uh, happy uh, byproduct of this crusade. So next, let's talk with Dan Donovan, the founder of Hooked Inc., a seafood distributor and retailer based out of Toronto, Canada. My wife and I are both chefs um, by training. And so we had worked in the food, you know, in the restaurant industry in Toronto for a number of years, had little kids and decided that we wanted a little bit better life for ourselves, I guess it's probably. We uh, both have a um, kind of a love and attraction for fish and seafood. Uh, And we felt that it was one area in all of the, procurement for restaurants uh, and then by extension for families uh, that was weak, um, certainly in Toronto. Um, And when I say weak, you know, it was very easy to go to a market and buy local vegetables and kind of get to know something about the farm that grew them or or beef or pork or eggs or cheese. It just, there was an explosion of sort of this, you know, knowledge of of your, know your producer. And then there was fish and just fish just seemed to arrive from somewhere. And, um, and most seafood retailers couldn't really tell you much about where it was caught, how it was caught, when it was caught, who caught it. It was just, just kind of a blank slate. So we felt that that could be done better. And so we opened up a store, it was kind of close to our house and we felt like we we're gonna have this little retail business and do wonderful things and, and have a great life with our kids. I loved what Dan says here about seafood just appearing at the store or on our plates and how most consumers don't really think twice about where that fish came from. Because we had come from the restaurant business, a lot of our friends and colleagues in the restaurant business reached out to us to help them with sourcing for their restaurants. And so we had a dual purpose business. We supplied restaurants and we ran, we ran the retail store. And actually, um, about a year ago, 
almost exactly a year ago, in fact, um, we made the decision to exit the restaurant supply business. Um, it was becoming super competitive. And sadly, I think there was less focus on, um, on the pedigree of the seafood. It was becoming a bit more about price. But what happened with the pandemic um, was very quickly, you know, in the first weeks, even first days, weeks, um, we realized that we had a lot of health professionals as customers. And they began to reach out to us and ask if there was some way that they could organize, you know, some delivery to home because they were more comfortable uh, moving around the city. And, um, you know, we said, yeah, sure, we can do that. Um, in fact, we have delivery trucks that are not busy right now. So we sort of activated our network, our drivers. We brought back drivers that we had laid off the year before and uh, kind of put that team back together and, uh, and then started doing home deliveries first to our existing customers. And then it very quickly grew to um, their neighbors and friends. And, and I don't think that that's going to change. I think, that's, I think that element of our business will, will be here uh, forever. While Hooked is now offering home delivery and online ordering, Dan wasn't as sold on home deliveries as other businesses who have made that same shift. He emphasized something that we've heard in past episodes, that buying seafood can be an important in-person experience, and a piece of that personal connection is lost when buying seafood moves online instead of at a brick-and-mortar location. You know, a good part of what we do is... uh... There are conversations that we have with customers about their food and where it comes from and how to cook it, how to get the best results. Um, people who are seafood fans, even, um, are, I want to say they're pretty skeptical. Like they want to see the product, which is not something that you do through a website very well. So we have sort of two parallel systems running right now. We have a website that will launch probably in the next two, three weeks, which will cover kind of the essentials. And then we have a customer support desk, which is uh, a team of people who take individual phone calls, emails, chats about menu planning for the week, what's coming up, things they haven't tried before, supplying them with recipes and tips and videos on how to cook and that kind of stuff. Uncertainty has been the only certainty of this pandemic. But Dan made some interesting predictions about the future of the industry post-COVID. I'm as confused as everybody right now. It may accelerate um, the acceptance of frozen fish in North America. North America is kind of funny because, and I say North America versus, versus Europe, because most places in Europe, it's, it's you know, commonplace that people purchase frozen fish. And they don't see that as a detriment to quality. Whereas in North America, the average customer just believes that fresh is better and that frozen is inferior. And I think that this pandemic is forcing people into a supply system, whether it's online delivery or whatever it is, uh, which is a random frozen or previously frozen product. And so I'm hoping that it will accelerate the acceptance of that because I think from an ecological perspective, the sooner everybody gets their head around that, the, you know, the better the carbon footprint will be of the seafood industry. So I think that's one uh, thing that's at play right now. Um, the other thing that's in play is, you know, across Canada and across the United States, the large grocers stepped up very quickly to close their fresh fish counters in their stores. But most retailers would acknowledge that those fresh fish counters have been losing money forever and that they have a, they really struggled to, to keep them 
uh, profitable. So I think this is really a situation where the grocers have taken this opportunity to close those operations down. So I'm curious to see whether the large grocery stores reopen those or reopen them in a slightly different format or how that how that evolves as we as we emerge at the other side of this. And now to our last step on the food chain, the restaurant. So my name is uh, Christopher Oliveira. I'm a chef here in Vancouver, BC, um, particularly a restaurant called OEB. Um, we just got best new restaurant in the city last year. So yeah, we're a high-end uh, breakfast brunch place. Seafood, we have um, quite a bit more so than most, I think most brunch places have, but we have Canadian lobster, we have shrimp, we have uh, U10 scallops, we have um, ahi tuna, and we have, that's it. Chris described that one of the major challenges his restaurant has faced in the wake of the pandemic is being unable to access some of their most popular seafood items, such as scallops. So the issue we've been having with COVID is that, for example, scallops, I can't get fresh scallops. Reason being is because the, they're having issues with, uh, obviously, a lot of flights are canceled. So they can't have, I can't have fresh scallop delivered. Caviar was also a short supply for some weird reason. Again, a lot of it is just based on travel restrictions. That is pretty much across the board uh, from restaurants within our city. Um, I know a lot of places can get Mediterranean sea bass for the longest time, I think, till last week. While Chris's restaurant has faced some obstacles in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, they've been able to stay afloat by pivoting to takeout and even selling some of their ingredients as grocery items. So we were actually fortunate enough that we didn't have to close down. Um, so as soon as the, the minister, Bonnie Henry, said, you know, restaurants are shut down, just resume to takeout. So we, just, we did a takeout slash retail program. And the first two weeks, our retail program was insane. Like there was nothing open in our area. So we sold I sold a lot of eggs, a lot of prepackaged meats, a lot of prepackaged seafood, a lot of prepackaged bread was another thing we sold. Uh, anything that yeast was a, a high commodity, so we sold that. Um, retail program was awesome. And honestly, like our community, our community supported us very well that we just did takeout up to the point of May 18th or 19th where they said we were able to um, to reopen. As far as it, how it affected our business, I mean, I'll give you an example. like. Saturday, Sunday, normally we do, you know, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars in sales. When we just did takeout, we were still doing six, seven thousand dollars in takeout in sales. It's pretty impressive considering um, just doing takeout. It was insane. So we were grateful for that. Were we making money every week? Probably not. But it's not about that. It's more us staying open, supporting community. Um, a lot of people were grateful that we we're open um, and they can get food from us. And yeah, so it, it was very interesting times. I'll tell you that right now. We want to end with one final word from Dane, who thought it was important to acknowledge how important fishers are and the challenges they grapple with to keep us all fed. The only thing that, that uh, you know, I always ask to uh, provide a plug for, and that is uh, for the fishers. When the coronavirus hit this year and people were losing their jobs and their incomes were uh, uh, being reduced, um, it was a shock to the system. The government responded and... Uh, um, you know, it was, it was a great outcome. Fishermen have been living like that for years and uh, nobody has really cared. And, and now people are beginning, beginning to care because they realize uh, that, uh, you know, you can't eat your smartphone. I really do hope that this is the renaissance for uh, the food producer 
because I think that there are people that work incredibly hard for very little, and I think that uh, their contributions are are uh, have been overlooked. So I hope they get their day in the sun. Thanks for joining us. Social Fishtenscene is a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. We will be bringing you the voices and stories of small-scale fishermen and women from around North America for the foreseeable future of the COVID-19 pandemic. These interviews and episodes are being recorded week to week, and we aim to bring you a new one every other Tuesday. To connect with the people that you've heard on this podcast, including fishermen, visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org. If you'd like to share your story, and we hope you will, please send an email to stories at coastalroots.org. Coastal Roots Radio is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph. We also receive support from the American Anthropological Association and the Local Catch Network. Today we heard from Nate Berga, Dane Chevelle, Dan Donovan, and Christopher Oliveira. You are listening to Sailor's Lament by Jason Shaw, available in the Free Music Archive. See you next time.